Welcome to Pod Revisited, episode 29. Today we are discussing chapter 11 of Chamber of Secrets, The Dueling Club. Or as we like to call it, talk snaky to me. <laughs> so this chapter opens up after kind of the cliffhanger of the last chapter where we find out that Colin's been petrified, but not only that, Dobby tells Harry that the Chamber of Secrets has been opened before. So Harry has all this new information, and of course, the one thing he wants to do once he gets out of the hospital wing is tell Ron and Hermione, but Ron and Hermione aren't waiting for him, and he's very hurt. He's, like, looking all over the for them, and he's like, where are they? Don't they care that I'm, like, not injured anymore? Yeah, I particularly think it's funny that Percy runs into them, and he's like, Gee, I just hope Ron isn't in the girls' toilet. And then the girls' toilet is exactly where Ron is. It's lovely. And Harry's like, why would they be in there? It's a ridiculous assumption. But it's it's very true that Ron and Hermione are in fact in Moni Myrtle's bathroom because they found out that Colin got petrified by over or eavesdropping. I guess like I could say they were eavesdropping. They were eavesdropping. And they decide that they should get right away starting the potion. And yeah, they're doing it in the washroom. And uh, Harry explains everything that Dobby told him about the Chamber of Secrets and- What he eavesdropped from Dumbledore. So much eavesdropping these kids do. But uh, he spills the fact that Dobby was the reason that he got injured in the Quidditch game, but also the reason him and Ron couldn't get through the platform. And Ron tells Harry that if he doesn't stop trying to save your life, he's going to kill you. And I just, true words have not been spoken. Yeah, I really appreciate Ron's dark sort of sense of humor. It's uh, not not really expressed well on film, but in the books, he's coming in strong with it. <laughs> so I just have a few questions about Colin being petrified. So the one thing I was thinking when Ho Colin's brought to the hospital wing is the fact that it's one thing for them to like kind of keep Mrs. Norris to themselves because they're a school and it's a pet a cat but this is like the first student that's been attacked and i was just wondering why he wasn't moved to the hospital because i feel like if anything serious happened to a student they'd be moved to a hospital that has better resources than a school like nurse's office basically i always see madame pomfrey as like a doctor more than a nurse like she can do most of the doctory things i also think maybe it depends because like because the cure for petrification is something that they already have one of the best herbologists known working on like she's already working on the whatever the plants and snape one of the best potions like they have some of the best in all the fields needed to handle this particular ailment so i think maybe that's just like i just feel it's quite serious and like i know we don't really find about about the hospital till later on but i just feel it's kind of on par with some of like the more yeah worst things that have happened in the school and i just feel like you would expect this wizarding hospital to have the resources to make or even have this potion on, like, I don't know, reserve if they're, like, this big hospital. But, yeah, again, it affects the plot. But I was just kind of, like, be like, the student's, like, been attacked and he's just, like, chilling the school for seven months. I mean, maybe also they don't want to bring them into the hospital because they have to fill in, like, intake forms and they don't want, like, the bad publicity about, like, what the heck is happening at Hogwarts. Yeah, Dumbledore does not want extra paperwork. <laughs> well, it brings into my other point is the fact that we're Colin's parents notified because we know he's muggle-born, but we also know that he's very close to his family, that he sends his dad, like, letters every week about what he's doing, so it'd be very suspicious if all of a sudden he just stopped sending anything, because I feel like the students are, like, petrified for half the school year, so I feel like, do their parents know what the hell's happening? I've always assumed yes. I've always assumed they get a letter being like, hey... 
everything's going to be okay. We have the solution. It just takes time. But your child has been petrified. Dear Muggles, that means something like being in a coma, but it's totally reversible and he's gonna be fine. I just don't find Dumbledore explaining everything because I feel like... Oh, he wouldn't. McGonagall or someone would have to. I think it was, it was like Hermione's parents or Colin's parents. Like, I get maybe if it was like a wizarding family, they might not be that concerned and figure that Hogwarts is the best place to keep their kid. But I feel like there's a muggle-born. Like, you don't know what that means. All you know is that your kid's sick and you can't, like, and they're just, the school's holding them hostage. Yeah, my mom, even if she were a muggle, if I was sick and at a school she wasn't allowed at, she would get to that school to be there and harass the heck out of poor Madame Pomfrey. Being like, what are you making her? What are you giving her? Have you given her this? Have her sheets been changed? Are you making her soup? She should have some soup. I feel like Dumbledore doesn't want to fuss with muggles. So he just like, he probably, I feel like, had to tell them that he was ill. But I don't think they told him why he was ill. And I don't think they knew that it was like seven or eight months. But it brings to the question, the fact like, what's Colin going to tell his family when he gets back from school? Be like, oh, what'd you learn this year? I'm like, well, I was actually like out of commission for like six months of school. I was only really around for the first two months. Yeah, because then I was out cold. But I learned a lot about being petrified. (laughs) Really practical, hands-on learning. Well, speaking of Colin being petrified, so it gets around the school and the school's all freaking out. And they really have, they have this paragraph about how Ginny's really upset about it. And the twins um, try to help her, but I feel like it's not, it's not great, not a great way to go about it. Bless the twins. I mean, yes, they're being spooky and jumping out and trying to scare her, pretending to be the monster of Slytherin. But I do kind of think that like, in a way, like when you build up a bunch of tension and stress about something... And then you relieve it even briefly for a second when you think the things about happening, you do lose a bit of that like tension. So I feel like having them jump out all the time is letting her release a little bit of that tension every once in a while. I do feel like if I feel like Jenny is starting to suspect herself or feel something's not right with her, because I feel like if she wasn't so worried about what was going on with her and these like blanks of memory she has and people being attacked, I'm sure that it would be it would be a bit like, oh, silly friend, George, whatever. They're just, my brother is trying to cheer me up. But because she's so worried about what's happening with her, it's just making her more tense. Yeah. I definitely think Ginny's, something's going on with Ginny and Ginny's very concerned about it. It seems interesting that no one else seems concerned that something's going on with Ginny. I guess they're just like, she's just really concerned about this thing. But like, Ginny's kind of a rough and tough gal. Well, Percy is concerned about her in a brotherly way, but I think he 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 very much kind of like puts it down to oh she's just a first year student and like all this kind of yeah like unsettling things that are happening. But I don't think Percy he's very much surface level. Like he knows that she's upset and he threatens Fred and George to like write to mom and tell her that Jenny's not doing well and stuff. But I don't think he's really paying much attention to like like her emotionally. Well, Neville is also very worried with all the attacks happening. Poor Neville. Poor, poor, poor Neville. First of all, everyone's telling him he shouldn't be afraid because he's pure blood. And Neville says, I'm almost a squib. And that just breaks my heart. Neville, who is so powerful and so strong and such a good friend and such a wonderful Gryffindor, thinking he's almost a squib. Again, not that there's anything wrong with being a squib, but he he has so much magical ability. Well, like, this is something he's internalized a lot. And this is all his grandmother's fault. Because coming into the school, he even said to, like, 
in like the first book that like they didn't think he was going to get his Hogwarts letter because he wasn't showing signs of magic till really late. And that's basically just him like rephrasing like what he's been told growing up from his grandmother. So, you know, his grandmother is really hard on him. And yeah, and it's just like, this is like really sad because like he like doubts himself so much that like he's just reiterating what he's probably been told by his grandparents that like he's not very talented and basically what all the teachers are telling him this chapter too that he's not very talented and so basically he's almost a squib yeah and that's a really hard thing to like just not even to like have in your mind but just to reiterate to all his friends being like oh i'm almost a squib yeah kind of it's crushing it's crushing only 12 breaks my little heart. Harry, Ron, and Hermione notice that Draco's staying over Christmas, so they all decide to stay over Christmas, and I was just wondering, like, is Miss... I don't... I can't actually remember. I'll probably figure out it next chapter, but do all the Weasleys stay at Hogwarts this, um, Christmas, or just, just Ron? Because I just feel like... Would Mr. Mrs. Weasley not be kind of concerned, like, all her kids are just staying at the school? That's interesting. I mean, I, I can't imagine Ginny's first year at Hogwarts, them having her stay for Christmas. Like, it's her first year she'd miss home yeah i think that she'd want to go home especially if all the bad things are happening and i feel like molly weasley probably wants to see the twins because she probably has lots of things to yell at them for like they've probably done some stuff she's got some letters she needs to reprimand them you know um so i i I don't think all the other kids stay i think i mean maybe percy could potentially have to because of his role in student government and but but i do find it odd that like Ron must have had an excuse for why he needed to stay because I feel like Mrs. Weasley, Harry already stayed at their place in the summer. She'd be like, oh, bring Harry home for Christmas. And in any normal circumstances, Harry'd be like, yeah, but now since they have a plan, they're like, oh no, we need to stay. So I'm just wondering what their excuse was. I'm sure Ron said, I don't want Harry to be alone for Christmas. And I'm sure Miss Weasley said, well, we could potentially invite Harry. And Ron said like, I don't know how Harry would feel about that. Just like it would be his first time seeing what a family Christmas is like. And I think it might be a bit overwhelming for him to have it be with a huge family that's that much. (laughs) You know, like I feel like that's, I want him not to be alone, but I also want him not to be overwhelmed. We need to like wean Harry on to Christmas. Yeah. Can't have too much joy this year. Okay. Just a little bit of joy. Very interesting, but moving into their plan, they need some illegal ingredients for their potion that only Snape has. So Hermione concocts a plan to steal the ingredients. And I find it so funny. She's like, I actually should do the stealing because if you guys get caught, you're going to be expelled. Yeah, and I I still have a few. uh, Yeah, I can get in a few more troubles before that's a concern. Yeah, I'll do this. And so the plan is that Harry's going to throw a firework into a cauldron to cause a distraction and of course it is Goyle's cauldron and it is a swelling potion I am so sad we never got to see this in film because I think it would be so funny to see it the giant nose the like toppling over the gigantic arm like this would have been such an unbelievably entertaining comical tidbit to the film it's a little sad we never got to see it because it's so visual like in my mind it's I feel like because they had the apologies potion transformation that like any other like heavy special effects stuff was like, we don't need that. (laughs) I guess. My first thought was the fact that Harry was really lucky that it, that Goyle's potion was actually like, did what it was supposed to do because we, we have heard through it that the book that Goyle and Crab aren't very magically gifted and they just kind of skate along. We don't even know if they can read. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. So, um... 
Like, the Goyle's potion could have been, like, absolutely terrible, and it could have, like, been, like, acid that burned everything. They could have murdered some folks, yeah. Yeah, it could have killed someone, but the fact that he apparently was able to make a somewhat okay potion, that it actually did what it was supposed to do. I feel like when it comes to the earlier years, the potion ingredients they're given, like, even though they're obviously given potions that are, like, sensible for their age group, I feel like they also only use potions that ingredients can't counteract in a terribly dangerous way like if the potion for like making your hair red if you put in too much bat wings it is actually toxic and will burn your flesh off they just won't have them do that potion so i like to think that like it's lower level potions and those ingredients happen not to be the ingredients used in any super dangerous potion so everyone gets their antidote and Hermione steals the ingredients, and Snape finds the firework and Goyle's cauldron. Yeah. He is not happy. Yes, you have the the twins' fireworks save the day again. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, the twins? I mean, first of all, they're like kids still. They're like children. And they're out here making their own fireworks, but also like substantially contributing to the plot just through their own completely unintentional genius. I love that for them. Like, they contribute so much to the plot with their wizards wheezes it's yeah, just their shenanigans yeah their shenanigans contribute their shenanigans are like secret mvp <laughs> coming in strong the twins um i also love that harry is super duper concerned that snape can read his mind he's like snape knew snape knew i did it and i was like he totally was reading harry's mind he was totally like ugh, potter yeah i feel like anytime snape looks at harry he's just like getting ready to read his mind yeah, and to be fair, I don't think Harry's a good liar. I don't even know if you'd have to read Harry's mind to look at him and be like, oh, this was Harry. Yeah. Like, he, I feel like he's a guilty-looking kid when he's up to no good. <laughs> There's them describing Harry's trying to look like a like a not-guilty look on his face, and I'm just imagining what that would look like, because I feel like it's... I, like, I'm imagining it, like, cartoon-level bad, like, eyes up from side to side, do-do-do-do-do-do, whistling, maybe. <laughs> just egregious. But I sort of wonder after this incident if if Snape would go to Dumbledore and say, hey, just took a brief gander into Harry Potter's mind and he's totally up to something. Um, also, he did this thing with a firework that's kind of dangerous and not really his brand of stupid. Like, that's a different brand of stupid than Harry's usual brand of stupid. Like, I can't imagine Snape as, like, a smart dude not bringing it up to Dumbledore. A, as a chance to narc on Harry, but also, like, out of concern. Yep, he's just doing what Dumbledore wants him to do. So, so Dumbledore's just like, it's fine. Let him do what he's doing. Just let him keep up the good work. And Snape's like, so you know what he's up to? And Dumbledore's like, I'm what? Approximately what he's up to. It's fine. It's Harry. Let him go. And Snape's just like, I hate this. I hate you. I hate everyone. I hate this school. <laughs> they find out later on that the school is setting up a dueling club, which is obviously very exciting, especially for 12-year-olds, and they're all talking about who could be teaching it, and there's talk about Flitwick maybe teaching it, and of course, who else could it be but Gildroy Lockhart? Ugh. Ugh. Gross. First of all, yeah, why wasn't it Flitwick? I don't... Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, out of all the profs, who do we think would be, like, the best people to be teaching a dueling club other than Lockhart, like, if Lockhart wasn't around? Yeah, I mean, like, I think Flitwick is a good example as, A, a charms teacher, but also as, like, a 
a very experienced duelist. And I think Snape is probably who I would choose on the other side because he's probably like realistically because they're learning for defensive purposes, probably has been in situations where he's had to defend himself more often than most of the teachers. Like he gets himself in trouble and he's just, he's notoriously good at dark arts. So that's probably what people would attack you with. I also think McGonagall should have been involved too because we've we've seen McGonagall in many of duels. Yeah. I think that maybe... It, like, to me, Flitwick is the first choice, obviously, if he's a dueling champion. Allegedly a dueling champion. I believe it. I think that's canon. I don't know how Lockhart, like, he make Lockhart makes it sound like he suggested it to Dumbledore. Like, hey, we should have a dueling club. But we don't know. Yeah, he makes it sound like he asked it. And, and I'm just wondering, what is going through Dumbledore's mind right now? That Lockhart comes up to him and he's like, he's like hey, I want attention on me so i want to set up a dueling club where all, everyone focuses on me and then dumbledore's like yeah sure that's okay even though you just almost like murdered harry you almost lost harry's arm but i think dumbledore's only stipulation was that snape had had to be an assistant but snape's there to supervise to make sure no one dies snape's there to be miserable um i think my first thought is that um gilderoy whatever brought it up and dumbledore was like Gilderoy is an idiot, but it's actually a decent idea. And even though Gilderoy can't do magic, he can't teach this on his own. So, like, it's a good idea. It'll get done. The children will show up and pay attention because they like Gilderoy Lockhart. They're interested in him. So, like, it'll make it more of a desirable thing and the kids will go and learn this, I think. But alternatively, it wasn't Gilderoy Lockhart's idea at all. It was, like, Dumbledore's or McGonagall's or someone smart was, like, we should teach the kids to protect themselves a little bit. And then Gilderoy Lockhart was, like, I'll teach it. And then went and said it was his idea because he's totally that guy who will take credit for any good idea. Like him saying, I came up with this idea and suggested it to Dumbledore does not mean that happened ever at all. That's the way he views it as happening. But as we know, he lives in like a deluded fantasy land. Yeah, he's deep into the delusion. So we're wondering if Snape was, I think Snape was kind of there as Dumbledore asked him to, because I feel like Dumbledore asked Snape to do a lot of like babysitting. Shitty jobs. He's like, this is unpleasant. Let's just have Snape do it. But I also think he kind of wanted to go because I, we, I, we do know that Snape really likes poke, like kind of trying to poke holes in Lockhart's like delusions and kind of catch him out and being bad. Yeah. Like I feel like all the teachers are annoyed with him, but Snape likes to catch him in like lies. Yeah. I think Snape is going to go for the sheer joy of watching Gilderoy Lockhart look like an idiot. Like, that's for sure. The only plus side to this situation. And Snape's like, this job sucks. This sucks. That sucks. He sucks. But I will enjoy watching him suck publicly. So as they're demonstrating, like, how to do a proper wizard duel, uh, Lockhart obviously doesn't do what he's supposed to do. And Snape launches him, like, across the room. Severus Snape kicks his butt. It's very uh, kind of surprising, like, how quickly Lockhart recovers from just being shown up by Snape. Like, he's right off the bat, he just stands up and he's like, oh, I let you do that. And he has his whole story and stuff to make him look good. I mean, I feel like he's so used to his certain defense mechanisms because he's had to use them his entire life, probably, that he just, like, immediately is like, which one am I going with? Am I going with, we pre-planned this? Am I going with, I knew this was going to happen. I let you do it. Like, you know, he has, like, a list of ones. He runs through them in his head in 30 seconds. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. This is the one. It just kind of shows how deep he is. But yeah, he's just like very quickly is able to brush off things that because like, obviously, I don't we don't know if like he he thinks he can do the things or he's just so up on himself that he like knows he can lie about it if he can't. But yeah, he doesn't know like what's a lie and like what's the truth. So he thinks he can do the thing. But he, like he obviously is 
able to like correct himself. So they start the dueling club by teaching all the students how to defend themselves, which became Harry's signature spell. Yeah, Snape is the one who teaches Harry the spell that Harry uses. You know that one of the like two spells Harry Potter uses? This is one of them. And who taught it to him? Severus Snape. Very interesting. And he taught it well. I mean, Harry saw it once and was like, well, that's a good one. Well, yeah, it's Harry's like default spell. So good job, Severus Snape. So my idea is that I know it's a dueling club, but I just feel like having the students in pairs dueling each other with basically no guidance was a very bad idea. Terrible. Yeah. This could have been a lawsuit. Yeah. I uh, I definitely think they should have had more adult supervision considering they said most of the school showed up. So it's a bunch of like preteens and teenagers in a room and they're going to say just like attack each other. Like I think it should have been like a bunch of teachers. You break up into groups of one teacher per 10 students and students like take turns. You two attack each other while we watch. Okay, now you two. So it's like hyper supervised. Not a bunch of people flying spells all over the place at the same time. It's also the fact that like they didn't give them any guidance. They're just like, okay, now you do the disarm spell. But like no one really knows what they're doing. Yeah, you saw Snape do it once, and he's incredibly distracting, what with his glorious, handsome voice and his deep tones (laughs) of... Okay, okay. But also, they didn't learn how to block. So, like, just get hit by this guy's spell. We're teaching you to duel by teaching you how to get hit by a spell. Yes, my other thing was, uh, Ron's dueling with his broken wand, which I think should be illegal. Yup. It's a miracle that Seamus is alive. Yup. And... With all this commotion, uh, we find out right before they kind of get everyone stopping that a Millicent Brolster is basically strangling Hermione and like no one's doing anything. Like this is like, it's like a disaster. Because there's not enough teacher supervision to see what everyone is doing and everyone is doing something bad. Yeah, Harry has to pull her like off Hermione so she doesn't get strangled. Like To be fair, Hermione might have started it because she's smart and she knew she needed the hair. <laughs> She might have been like, I need that. This seems like the good opportunity to get it better than any other. <laughs> if only she grabbed the hair from her head instead of off her clothes. Yeah. I mean, hair pulling in a fight is a low blow. Even Herm- Hermione Granger would not pull hair in a fight. She's going to have a fair fight, okay? <laughs> so, uh, Gildred goes around and he wants to have, like, a practice pair. So he suggests Neville and Justin. And then Stape, I'm giving him a sex count because he basically outs Neville for being, like, super incompetent in front of, like, the entire school. And poor Neville doesn't need that. Yes, but also at this point, I mean, it's shitty. You shouldn't insult your student. I think it would have been more traumatizing for Neville to have gone up there and done bad magic. I don't think Neville should have gone up, but the way Snape says it, it's very cruel. Absolutely. He was a dick about it, but Neville not going up there was a better choice because I think getting your ass handed to you by another student in front of everybody would hurt him psychologically more than having the teacher everyone thinks is an ass insult you. Neville and also Justin are also kind of injured at this point because they don't know what they're doing. So it just like wasn't a good idea for them to be paired anyway. Yeah. But um, he yeah, didn't need to out Neville like that. Like he already has like the worst self-confidence out of like every anyone. Yeah. Well, uh, Harry and Draco are paired, of course. Shocking. Unexpected. What a twist. And you say that this is Harry's first spell in the entire series. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the first time we see Harry Potter cast a spell. And it's Rictum Sempra, which is a tickling spell. So really coming in strong with those big, powerful hero spells. Harry with the tickling spell. <laughs> when they pull them up, uh, Snape is telling Draco what to do, obviously. And then Gildroy pulls Harry aside and shows him some weird wand movement and drops his wand. And sassy Harry comes back strong because he's like, can you show me that again? And then Lockhart's like, just do what I did. And Harry's like, what? Drop my wand? <laughs> 
you idiot. Ugh. So I'm wondering, did Snape tell Draco to do the snake spell? Like, I don't know what he was expecting. Like, he, he just wanted to scare Harry or did he suspect something? He probably wanted Harry to look like an idiot. So he's like trying to think of a spell that's like, not particularly nice, but not so dangerous Draco would get in too much trouble. And he also has to think of it being a spell that Draco knows. Like, he's probably seen Draco practice that spell or something before because he wouldn't have Draco do a spell that he didn't know Draco could do. So I feel like it's cute in that it's like a slytherin thing with the snake, but it's also just like, what do you know that's kind of scary and will make Harry Potter look dumb? Yeah, just throw a, yeet a snake at him. <laughs> yeet a snake. Number one most commonly quoted Severus Snape line is yeet a snake at Harry. Well, I find it really interesting the way Purcell's tongue is described because I think in the movie it's just more just like Harry understands the snake and he's speaking like in hisses and stuff. But in the book, like Harry describes just like this vibe he gets from the snake. Like he just gives it a look and tells him to leave Justin alone. And he and the, he, the snake looks at him and he just knows that the snake's going to leave him alone. Like the snake is going to do what he says. He just has this like this feeling that he understands the snake and him understand each other without even saying anything. So it's just very much like very internal. It's not just like understanding like a language. It's just it's like, I don't know, like an aura or something. Spiritual connection. Yeah, like a connection really with the snake. Maybe it's like a body language. Like, because we, we as humans are really good at like interpreting each other's body language, even more so with people we see a lot because we become more familiar with their personal little tics and idiosyncrasies. Maybe the uh, parcel mouth ability isn't just the language, but it's also like a deeper understanding. So they're like, oh, the way he's wiggling, the speed he's wiggling at, it, it it's like this, that, that was him being more of like a straight direct, like a attacking sort of stance. And now he's in more of a calmed down waiting stance you know yeah everyone freaks out that harry is speaking parcel tongue because it's bad magic apparently and snake actually gives like harry this odd look he's not he's kind of like i was kind of wondering what he was thinking because this is obviously like a big revelation and i'm wondering if snape is wondering if dumbledore knew because i feel like snape blames dumbledore a lot for like not telling him things about this kid that he's supposed to be like looking after and i just feel like it's, it's a big shock to like he doesn't like Harry, but this is like a big like power drop and maybe it kind of gives him Voldemort vibes. I mean, I don't know if Dumbledore even would have, is even on like Horacrux level thinking yet. Well, I don't think Dumbledore actually knows, but I think Snape n- definitely knows that Dumbledore doesn't. Wonders if Dumbledore does, yeah. Because Dumbledore's known for knowing things and not telling. Yeah. Snape knows that Dumbledore does not tell him everything. So that makes sense. I wouldn't blame the guy for being suspicious. Uh, I I think he's also just suspicious, like not even at the Dumbledore level, like at the like, wow, what a plot twist. Harry Potter is a parcel mouth. Harry Potter who killed Lord, like it's probably just like the last person you would expect to be a parcel mouth at Hogwarts was Harry Potter and it was Harry Potter. And like Snape would never have known this rather valuable and interesting piece of information if he hadn't casually have decided to tell Draco to use the snake spell. But it like changes things. It's definitely a significant hint at a lot of stuff. So Snape's probably just like, oh shit, this is weird, unexpected, and important. So Ron, Hermione, drag Harry out of the doing club and they're basically like you're a parcel mouth and he's like what the hell is that i also love that harry's just like well yeah you know it happened to me once before i had a little chitty chat with a snake and ron's just like a boa constrictor just told you it had never been to brazil like who 
That's casual. Just casually. This this boa constrictor told me he'd never been to Brazil. Yeah, so Ron tells Harry that parcel mouse are like a very uncommon gift. and Because like, Harry's just assuming they're like, oh, people here can do it. It's magic thing. Yeah. And Ron's like, actually, no, that's weird. And it's like a lot of things happen to Harry in this book. Or it's like he, he thinks something's normal because it's magic and it must be normal. And Ron's like, actually, no, that's strange. That's weird. Yeah, not even having enough context yet to know that something is weird is scary. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, it's... Why is it considered dark magic? I mean, a little bit of it is obviously from the history of, of parcel mouths and like the previous context. Yeah, so they're talking about how Salazar's was a parcel mouth and everyone, they're like, Give, everyone's going to think you're his great, great, great grandson. And it's just really great foreshadowing since Voldemort is technically his like great, great, great grandson. Yeah, a little bit. So little, some like Horcrux vibes. Probably, yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, this kind of rattles Harry, and he's just very upset, and he begins thinking about, like, when he was sorted and how, the, like, the sorting hat wanted to put him in Slytherin, and he kind of starts to think about the sorting hat, just, like, he doesn't ha- he has Slytherin blood, so he should be in Slytherin because of his blood, when I think Dumbledore really explained at the last, at the end of the last book that it's supposed to be about, like, your choices and, like, your traits and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So being Slytherin genetically wouldn't play any part. Yeah, he really views it as blood because if you think about it, like he sees Draco and Slytherin, his family's been in Slytherin, it's all about his like blood and then all the Weasleys have been in Gryffindor. So he sees it kind of like... But also like this is also the book where we learn about mudbloods and stuff. Like, so there's a lot of like, it's in your blood, you're born like it, like that's prominent in the undertones in this book. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely thinking a lot about genetics and like, yeah, where you came from, where you come from and stuff. So it's just very interesting seeing Harry think like that. Also, the uh, absolute cutest part of the entire chapter is that they're making socks for the mandrakes. So they stay warm. They're making them socks. Yeah, so Herbology is canceled just so uh, Professor Sprout can knit some socks to put on the mandrakes. And she doesn't want the kids around. I respect her. Underrated. Underrated. Because class is cancelled, Harry's all worried about Justin, like, thinking badly about him. And Harry, or Ron and Hermione are just like, whatever, go see him then. Leave us alone. So he goes to find them, and he overhears some of the Hufflepuffs speaking, like, basically assuming that Harry's the heir of Slytherin, and he's attacking people, and he's a dark wizard. Which is, it, I really feel for Harry here. He handles it a lot better than I did, because, like, when you overhear people talking about you, it's, like, really terrible. But especially when they're saying things that aren't true... Like, I've been in that situation, and it is not a fun time, and... Yeah. Harry just comes up, and he 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 owns it, and he's just like, hey, looking for Justin. And they're all like, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, he's gonna kill Justin. But I was wondering, like, why they're so quick to judge Harry as being a dark wizard, because I always found it weird that everyone was suspecting Harry before the parcel tongue incident, because before this book, like, he saved, the, like, the stone from Voldemort, and, like, the school's aware of that. And they know he stopped the Dark Lord. And the only reason people were respecting him is because he was just at, just happened to be in the corridor at like the right time. Like I feel like that's not a lot of evidence. Yeah. But now I get why they're suspicious because Parcel Tongue is known to be dark stuff. But yeah, Ernie's like really jumping through some hoops. And this is a conspiracy theory. He's like, he's like, yeah, Voldemort wanted to off him because there could only be one Dark Lord, which makes sense. Yeah, a little bit. It's kind of almost true the prophecy except that harry's actually the reason the anti-dark lord 
basically, is what I'm trying to say. I think also it's a little bit like when people are afraid of anything that's new and they don't understand, it's so much easier to put a face to the evil and and like blame that face and see that face in the darkness rather than some horrible monster. And I think one or two people maybe suspected Harry because he was at the scene of the crime. One or two Slytherins maybe made jokes about it. And it just became a thing that someone had heard someone say, so it was safe enough to say and then it was just like, okay, it's Harry. Good. We'll all just, we'll all know it's Harry. And when something bad happens, we know it's bad because of Harry. And it just makes it like easier to cope with an unknown darkness when it's actually just Harry. Yeah, Harry's just like really struggling with just being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, that's the story of his life. Ernie kind of grills him about like, because Harry says, I'd never attack Muggleborns. Like I have, I have no reason to. And, and uh, Ernie brings up his like the Dursleys and Harry obviously doesn't like Dursleys because they're awful. But I was wondering why didn't he didn't bring up Hermione because later in the book, Ernie says that he should have known that Harry wasn't the heir because like he's best friends with Hermione. Yeah. And like, so like why would he attack people that like, that would would include Hermione so I just feel like I know that Harry's angry and he's not thinking right but I'm just like that's just like an obvious thing like why would he attack someone that's like his best friend yeah I think he's too Harry at now is too angry to like get through that logic um I think if he were a little more chill if they hadn't have been so aggressive about believing it was him he might have been like guys Hermione and me were like this what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> but um he was too angry at that point and I also think it's the kind of thing where like people didn't want proof or reasons as to why it's not Harry because then they don't have any idea who it is and it's just less it's just scary it's just scary to not know yeah that's the thing with conspiracy theories that like no one really wants to be corrected yeah they're just gonna jump to the next thing unknowing things is scary and so they don't want to not know what's behind these petrifications so anything that will go against their belief in Harry being guilty isn't gonna get absorbed right now yep Poor Harry. So he kind of get, it storms off and he runs right into Hagrid. Yeah. Oh, Hagrid. So he, this is kind of a clue, but Hagrid is he- carrying a dead rooster. And he mentions that like this is like the third or fourth one. Suspicious. Something's been up with roosters. I also think it's interesting that Hagrid says he needs to see Dumbledore to get permission to charm the coop. He doesn't say to get help to charm the coop. He says to get permission, which makes me think that, like, he's just going to do the charm himself. Like, Hagrid does use magic, but I feel like Dumbledore is probably the reason that he has he's able to use magic, like ha- having his wand. His wand isn't supposed to be there, though. So, like, they would be people around are assuming he's doing wandless magic. I think people assume that someone's doing it for him because I think he de- I think he's definitely not using magic and I feel like he asked Dumbledore permission a lot like I think the only thing we really know he uses magic for is the pumpkins but I feel like people assume that he grows them himself yeah he's just a really really good pumpkin grower or whatever but I feel like for mo- for like things like that he kind of he wants to do things by the book because he admires Dumbledore so he's like I need to do this but I need to get Dumbledore's permission yeah okay because he doesn't really want to draw attention to the fact that like he's using magic when he shouldn't be yeah well, after this moment with Hagrid, things get really bad for Harry. <laughs> so Harry's just, you know, walking around, being upset, and he stumbles across nearly headless Nick and Justin, who have both been petrified, of course. Yeah, it's rough. I thought it was very interesting the way Nick is described, because I think I read this book after I seen the movie as a kid. So I'm always imagining it the way it is in the movie, where Nick is still a ghost, but he's like, He's obviously petrified, but in the book, he's described as being like black, 
like not transparent where he's just like black and he's smoking and i just that's a very eerie description because like a carrie thinks like how could this happen to a ghost nick's already dead so it's like very very like sinister that something that bad could happen to something that's not technically alive i think petrification as it exists in this book is like it's not just like you freeze and you're frozen like i think you're it freezes your soul kind of like who you are as a person like your brain and your the you that's inside of your meat suit and your dancing skeleton that sort of goes off so i think if a ghost is just that piece of you that lives inside of that meat suit then it makes sense that it would like turn sort of like dark and sinister like I could totally see that being what's going on inside of all the humans who are being petrified or the cat even. It's just their their flesh hides it. So I think it's interesting. It like it's almost a a, a bigger idea on how petrification works. Yeah, very interesting. Well, Harry is basically frozen in shock because part of him like wants to get help because he sees these these things that happened to Nick and Justin but then part of him's like like I'm gonna be like in, in big trouble and he's like he isn't he doesn't want more people thinking that he's the heir of Slytherin but so he's kind of thinking about what to do and of course Peeps comes out at that exact moment to make everything 100 times worse yeah God, I just think Peeps. Peeps is the worst person to catch you when you stumble into something bad because he just makes everything worse. So, of course, he starts yelling and freaking everyone out and everyone's coming out of the corridor. Harry Potter is a murderer. <laughs> of course, Ernie catches Harry, of course, and it's like, caught in the act. Of course. So, yeah, Harry's not going, things aren't going well for him right now. And McGonagall even was just kind of like, you know what? Like, I can't do anything about you anymore. Like, you got to go see, or she didn't even tell him that they're seeing Dumbledore. She's like, you got to, you got to come with me. So I was wondering, like, McGonagall, does she think Harry's doing something? Like, does she suspect him? Or is she just kind of, like, doesn't really know what to do? Because it, it, being an outsider looking in, like, it does look very suspicious that Harry just just happens to be, like, all these crime scenes, basically. Yes. I think Minerva McGonagall sees things deeper in Harry than most people see. And I feel like Mag- Minerva McGonagall probably thinks Harry Potter's being framed. Because it's been too many coincidences and it actually just ends up being Harry has shitty luck. He hears snakes and it's a coincidence. But it's like it's an awfully large number of coincidences. So I think her logic would say, I know the person Harry Potter is. I know he's best friends with Hermione Granger. I've seen him be very kind, very sweet. These are not Harry Potter things. So the fact that he's always right there so conveniently, like if Harry were doing something like this, it would be slightly less obvious. So I feel like she knows he's being framed, but she can't say it because she doesn't have real proof. She just knows. So she's like, I'll go through the motions, but in the end, we'll know he's being framed. Yep, so she leads him into what we find out is Dumbledore's office, which is exciting. Yeah, I think it's funny that Harry thinks it's where Dumbledore lives. He's like, oh, this must be where Dumbledore lives. Because I never thought Dumbledore lived in his office. But now I picture like a back door at the back of the office we don't see that opens up into like Dumbledore's bedroom. (laughs) I would assume that all the profs kind of have like lodging like in the castle. And I kind of always assumed that it was near their office because I just feel like that's just convenient. I always thought there was like a different tower or like something in the school where like there's just like like apartments kind of for the teachers you know like this is your own I mean they don't have to eat but this is your bedroom this is your personal bathroom this is 
your little sitting area and your desk area. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I simply always have something like close by or attached to their office because I feel like that'd be convenient so they can do like their work in their office and then when they need to like. I guess I guess I, I always thought they would be in one part of the castle, all of them together rather than near the classrooms. Alternatively, though, I suppose like maybe it has to do with what house like the heads of houses probably have their rooms closer to the dormitories of their students. So like McGonagall's might be in the tower. And that's what I'm assuming. I mean, I'm just really lazy. So I'm like, my office better be close to my bedroom and it also should be close to my classroom. <laughs> that makes sense, I guess. <laughs> well, just before we wrap up the chapter, I want to talk about some just more parcel mouth stuff. So I looked up like what snake, snakes kind of represent because there's a lot of snake imagery in the books, obviously. And they're all about being evil. And we kind of know like snakes now. Like when people say like, oh, you're she's a snake and stuff. It's usually that, that you're like a fake person. Yeah, you're plotting, you're conniving, you're manipulative. So apparently ever since Eve's trans- transgression in the Garden of Eden, snakes in Christian tradition have been associated with lies, evil, and temptation. Yeah. But in other cultures... Um, snakes symbolize fertility, rebirth, and renewal, and even immortality, which I thought was interesting. I mean, yeah, it fits in with the book, certainly. We know Voldemort makes his horcrux into his pet snake, but also, like, Voldemort comes back to life, and he wants immortality, so it's just very interesting. So just a lot of interesting little snake imagery there. That's lovely. I think it's, I think it's interesting that it's also, like, a fertility and rebirth. Because in a sense, when you rip your soul into a horcrux, you're sort of rebirthing yourself as a slightly lesser version uh, of yourself. But also, Harry realizing he could talk to snakes was one of the earlier steps in him realizing who he is as a person. Which isn't a bad person, but like being a parcel tongue is a part of who Harry is. And it's interesting that that's kind of like a rebirth in a sense of like that part of him who he never really acknowledges. Yeah, there's a lot of rebirthing and just like renewal and things like in the series so um i guess my thing is they, they talk about how there haven't been a lot of parcel mouths and all of them have been evil because we know the original harpo the foul was well he was foul and uh then obviously tells our slytherin not the best dude Voldemort not really the best dude so like i get that but it makes me think like have there been other parcel tongues who just had already sort of learned the history of parcel tongues and knew sort of the connotations attached to it and the stigma and just not told people and sort of been like a quiet parcel mouth, like not made it public knowledge just to avoid like being seen that way, you know, not wanting to be connected to Voldemort. So I, just, I feel it's very unlikely that there's like no parcel mouths left. I feel like with the way wizards were breeding and stuff like back in the day, like, I mean, that was weird. That, that was, that was a weird way to phrase it. But um, I just feel like it was probably very common. And then I guess over time, just like one or two people made it bad. And then it's just bad. Like a lot of things in life like that. I mean, I think Harpo the Fowl was one of the first. So like one of the first people anyone heard of who had it was bad. And then one of the second people was Salazar Slytherin. And people were like, he's, he's pretty bad. So I feel like there were other ones, but... They might have been out and known locally, but they didn't do things as big as Slytherin or Voldemort or Harpo. So they weren't as known. So no one's like, oh, yeah, Doug, the barber, he's you can talk to snakes. Oh, Doug, he's a nice guy. Like that just never happened. I'm also wondering if it's just because it's snakes, too, because generally people don't like snakes. Like that's usually a pretty big fear people have. People don't like snakes because they love any other animal, like a more like nice animal like a cat or something people it wouldn't be a bad thing i talk to geckos (laughs) yeah it would be like 
I think because it's because it's a snake and the way snakes are interpreted as being like evil or bad or two faced. Yeah. I think it's just been like it's been like destroyed by the history of people who've had it. And so it's probably something people don't want to talk about incredibly publicly, you know, like it's not just good socially. So you don't want to be attached to that. And it takes someone who's really, really willing and has already sort of established themselves as a good person publicly to be willing to be like, by the way, I've also been talking to snakes this whole time. So I'm a good guy and surprised and look, but it takes a lot. So I feel like most of them have just been sort of closeted, closeted snake whisperers. Um, So other fun thoughts that I have regarding this is if there are parcel mouths, do you think there are other animal mouths other wizards and witches who have the ability to communicate with different types of animals that'd be very cool like that could maybe be an interesting thing to look at for filch and mrs norris like maybe he has a special ability to communicate with her and that's part of why their bond is so strong yeah i feel like if you're gonna introduce being able to talk to snakes i feel like there should have been other people that could talk to animals maybe the gift died off with like whoever had it but like i feel like it opens the door that if like if you could talk to snakes, like then other people should be able to talk to other animals. Yeah, it just seems like it's very weird that it's uniquely snakes, and that that's the only time we hear about that particular skill set. Or maybe that's just the one that kind of like kept going. I mean, maybe it's just really rare, and these are just we get seven years of knowing these characters. So maybe someone who could talk to goats graduated the year before Harry got there, and we just. It never came up. Maybe Alberforth has a communication thing with goats because isn't like he referenced having a thing with goats in the series? Yeah, but um, not. <laughs> I I know I know the 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 implications, but I'm just saying. I'm not gonna talk about the implications, but I'm just saying, Alberforth and goats. You know, it's a thing. So uh, if we're gonna go down a less disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> human animal communication route um if you could pick any character in the harry potter series to have be a something mouth who would it be and what animal would they speak to my personal choice is uh luna lovegood talking to bees i think she's the type because bees are awesome first of all they're so important to the ecosystems and the environment but they're sort of small and fluffy and flighty and I could see Luna out in the flower gardens talking to bees and one lands on her and she's like, don't sting me. It won't hurt me that much, but I don't want you to die. You're very important. And I appreciate everything you do. Like, I could just see Luna out there chatting with the bees. Yeah, definitely. I think like, it needs to be a person that's a bit more open to things because I feel like Luna's a very open person because like there's some characters I just couldn't see them be able to communicate with animals just because I don't think they would let themselves. Percy. <laughs> Hermione. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Potter Revisited. We'll be back next time to discuss chapter 12, the Polyjuice Potion. Of course, if you have any thoughts about today's episode or previous episodes, you can email us at potterrevisitedpodcast at gmail.com or you can reach us on social media at Potter Revisited and we'll be back next time. Bye! Bye!